All right. I was a little slow at getting uh, information to Josh. We were trying to have a slide for you this morning that shows the, uh, the results of the straw poll that, that we took uh, a couple of weeks ago and over the last couple of weeks. But here's what we'll do. It, is it will be on the, uh, the web page. So uh, I invite you to go. Another reason, and as you go there, tool around. You'll see the web page is updated uh, virtually daily. Uh, it's very useful. It's chock full of information, tools, resources, uh, all the sermons and video and everything. So anyway, while you're there, you will see that the, uh, the straw poll uh, showed some clear results, at least in, in the leadership's mind, when it comes to the idea of uh, a move. There were 80% or virtually 80% that outright said, yes, we believe it's, it's, it's God's time to move. And uh, there's another 15% that said we need uh, more information. We're not sure. And so uh, what we're going to do is take the, the, the next step, which is to uh, make some small investments to gather more information so that we can bring, um, I guess, a clearer picture of what it would look like to you and see if we can't even narrow that margin. But uh, between those two categories, it's 94% of the congregation is, uh, is almost there. Take a look at that, and as we uh, turn our hearts this morning, I, I wanted to talk to us about spiritual warfare, something that uh, I've been more and more conscious of in uh, almost every area of my life as I think about it, and wanted to spend a few minutes this morning just think about it, particularly in, re- in regards to relationship, uh, because the context we're looking at this morning, that's, that's the context that Paul speaks about, it is in the context of our relationship, that there is always more going on than meets the eye. Open your Bible, if you haven't already, to 2 Corinthians chapter 10 in the first five verses. Hear then the word of God. I, Paul, myself, entreat you by the meekness and the gentleness of Christ, I who am humble when face to face with you, but bold towards you when I am away, I beg of you, that when I am present, I may not have to show boldness with such confidence as I count on showing against some who suspect us of walking according to the flesh. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but they have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. And we take every thought captive to obey Christ. Pray with me. Father in heaven, we come to your word this morning. And we long to hear from you. Father, we want to have eyes to see and ears to hear. We want to have hearts that obey and lives that are formed in Christ's likeness. We long for the time that we spend together in your word to matter. So, Father, would you come near as we draw near to you and have your way with us. Work within us by the power of your spirit that we might wage a holy war with weapons that are mighty through you. These things we ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I believe in reading the scripture, particularly through the New Testament, that we see that the entirety of the Christian life, the whole of the Christian life, is a warfare. It's the image that runs as one of the themes through the New Testament, that there is a a, a battle that is going on in and through the church, in and through our lives. There's a spiritual realm 
that, uh, that we live in, and there are realities and, and things that are going on beyond the realm of sight in some of our experience. Paul summarizes his life as he, as he reaches the end of it, and he says, I have fought the good fight. That's what I've been doing. I fought the good fight. I've been in a warfare. As I reach the end of this for myself, Paul fought the good fight. And my question for myself this morning, my question for you this morning is, are we fighting a good fight? Are we engaged in the warfare? And one of the questions for me that has come up again and again is I find myself in various situations Uh, But particularly in relational issues is to ask the question, do we have eyes to see? Do we have eyes to see that there is a cosmic conflict that engulfs our world? There are spiritual forces that are at work. There in your bulletin under the first point, I have 2 Kings chapter 6. It's that very familiar story where Elisha has been called upon and he doesn't show up and so the enemy comes to get him. And his servant is getting a little nervous because the forces that are ranged against them that have come to take them away are great. And Elisha prays for his spirit and he says, Oh Lord, would you please open his eyes that he may see? And so the Lord opened his eyes for the young man and he saw and behold the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. In other words, it was an angelic host, an angelic army of great power and great force. And and there's that sense that he who is with us is greater than he who is against us. There are more with us than have showed up at the door. He opened the servant's eyes to see a greater reality, a broader reality. There's something else going on. It's not about me. And, And it's not about the power that I have available to me. Right? There is a God in heaven who is doing something and there is a great war that is being waged. And I want us to see this morning that in that sense, everything is spiritual. Here the servants thought, you know, that, that it was just he and Elijah against this force that's ranged against him. But actually, there are other spiritual forces at work probably stirring up those enemies against him, but also other powers at work that stand with them. That God is on their side. Everything is spiritual. Those those forces that were open to the servant's eye in that moment didn't show up at that moment or were only there for that one occasion. In other words, I believe that, that there are always things going on beyond the realm of our sight and experience. That there is a spiritual reality that surrounds us and there is a sense in which we are always fighting a spiritual battle. Sometimes it may seem like me and you or you and them or, you know, whatever it may seem with you and your family or you and your spouse or you and your kids and you think it's just us and it's this battle of the wills and I would say there's always more going on. It is always spiritual. And not just a battle out there but a battle in here. Every conflict, whether it's at work or at home, in the church or in the world, there's always a spiritual dimension because we are spiritual beings. And God is always at work. 1 Peter 5.8, it's here in your bulletin, it tells us to be sober-minded. To be sober-minded is to be awake, alert, on your toes, serious. Be watchful. Why? Because your adversary, you have an adversary, 
He says, so you, be watchful because your adversary, the devil, is pro- prowling around like a luring lion, like a, a consuming beast, right? He's prowling around seeking someone to devour, to destroy. And so there's a very real sense in which you can say you are not paranoid. There really is someone out to get you. Right? He, he is a consuming beast who seeks to destroy the people of God, the works of God, the kingdom of God. And so there is this enemy outside of us, but not only that, there's an enemy inside the gates. Right? There's an enemy that is inside of us. And so there's not only some things that are going on out, out here, there's always something going on inside here. Paul says that he does not wage war. He says they accuse us of walking according to the flesh. And he says, though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. And when Paul says the flesh, he's not just talking about the physical body. Right? He's saying he is, he is speaking to something, something greater. When he says, I don't wage war according to the flesh... He is saying, I don't wage war according to the fallen, broken, sinful, selfish me, according to the me apart from the gracious work of God. The Bible uses the word flesh often in a very theological sense. It's not just the physical body, it's, it's that fallen, broken, sinful, rebellious me. It's me when I'm not under the gracious influences of God's spirit, but I'm rather under my own influence, full of myself influenced by the enemy the flesh the flesh is the part of you that is in league with the enemy see James chapter 4 it's there in your Bible James says this in the first couple verses of chapter 4 he says what causes quarrels and fights among you what is it that is destroying relationships and throwing you into conflict and it is keeping people divided and, and, and does all this kind of thing. What is it that causes all of this? He says, is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? Right? There is a war within. My, and, and in here is my own passions. My, it is my fallen, broken, sinful, selfish self uh, apart from the gracious influences of the spirit and then there is that work that God is doing in me and that there are often these two are at war Paul says the spirit you know that the the flesh lusts against the work of the spirit and the spirit is lusting or fighting against the work of the flesh and there is this conflict that goes on within us in every circumstance in every struggle there are these two constant realities Right? And just think about that, because you can think right now, what are your struggles? Where are your conflicts? Where's the rub in your life? You know, what is going on? As you think about those places, there are two constant realities that we have to, as Bible-believing, biblical worldview Christians that we keep in the forefront, and that's this. There's an enemy on the prowl who would destroy us, and there's sin in our hearts. It war with the work of God. And these two things. And now when this comes to relationships in, in so many various contexts, whether it's you and your spouse, you and your co-workers at work, whether it's within the leadership of a church or within the pew on the church or wherever it is, whatever the relationships are, in conflict of every kind, we remember the battle is not against flesh and blood. See, nothing has helped me more than that realization 
You know, because when, when you get into it with someone, it's hard to think anything other than it them. You know, it's you against them. Nothing has helped me more to step back and say, no, there is an enemy who would love to destroy this relationship. There is an enemy who would love to cause division right here. There is an enemy who would love to tear it down and, and consume the work of God right here. Opens our eyes. There are always spiritual forces at work. It's never just me and you. It's never just you and them. Ephesians chapter 6, it's here in your bulletin. He says to put on the whole armor of God, a very familiar passage where Paul says that we are engaged in a warfare and that we need to be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. And he describes this armor that he tells us that we should, that we should put on in order to engage in this conflict. And so he says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against what? The schemes of the devil. Do you believe there are schemes of the devil that come into play in those struggles, those circumstances, those relationships? That as he seeks to consume and to destroy us, how does he do it? I would suggest that as often or not as he comes to destroy the church, he comes to do it by one relationship at a time. To cause division, faction, brokenness, and to sow the seeds that would tear it apart. There are schemes of the enemy, and so he says, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Right? Sometimes I think I'm wrestling against that person in flesh and blood, but it's not. God is a God of reconciliation. God is a God of peace. God is a God who, who brings healing to those things. And in those moments, I need to understand it's not just me and that person. I'm not battling flesh and blood, but there is something greater going on here. It's the work of God in me and in them to accomplish God's purposes. We're not wrestling against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and the authorities, against cosmic powers over this present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. There is a devil who is scheming against us. He roams about to consume and destroy us. He is our real enemy. He is the enemy. Not you, not me, not the guy down the pew, not the guy across the street. There is an enemy that would destroy every one of those relationships. But we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. We wrestle against the sin in our own hearts. To be reconciled as God has made us ministers of a ministry of reconciliation. So the enemy attacks through relationships, through leadership, through marriages and forming factions. You read about it throughout the scripture in the New Testament, which is why in Ephesians chapter 4, Paul says this there in your bulletin. He says, do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. And I love the King James there because it's always stuck in my heart and mind. You're probably more familiar with that sentence. Do not give the devil a foothold. Right? A foothold. A toehold, you know, where some place into the relationship, a, a little bit of anger and, or bitterness and strife, that if he can get it in there, it's a place from which to destroy. And you know, the World War II was over when we landed on Normandy and we got a foothold. I say from then on, it was a done deal. If we couldn't get that foothold, who knows how the war would have gone. But once we successfully landed and had a foothold on continental Europe. The war was a foregone conclusion. Do not give the devil a foothold. And the place where he gets it more often than not, than not 
is in our hearts in regards to relationships with other people. That's how he destroys. The church is people. You are the church. It's not a building. It's not a property. It's not anything else. We are the church of Jesus Christ. And his foothold that he gets is in our hearts and in our minds as we begin to do battle with each other with flesh and blood instead of fighting the real enemy who's getting a foothold even in that moment probably in my very own heart. Do not give the devil an opportunity. Whatever you're struggling with, you will fight a losing battle till you understand there's a spiritual war going on. There's an enemy that prowls and there is that sin within that so easily besets and will will, uh, work with the enemy. Betray us from within as we give ourselves to things that we should not. Every problem we are facing, facing has a spiritual dimension. There's always more going on than meets the eye. There's always, always inside of me as well as outside of me. And the key strategy for us is to not give the devil a foothold. To step back from whatever battle with flesh and blood that you are having and to step back and to say, the enemy is trying to get a foothold. And this person is not my enemy, but how do I foil? How do I stand in the full armor of God and do not give him ground? In every circumstance of our lives, we will either follow Jesus or we will give the enemy a foothold. And I truly believe in in every one of those conflicts, every one of those moments, there's this moment to, to say yes to Jesus, to peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self control and the ministry of reconciliation and peace and grace and mercy and forgiveness. There is, in every circumstance, there is the opportunity to say yes to Jesus or to give the enemy a foothold. And say yes to something else. See, in Ephesians 6, Paul says we're fighting a war that's not against flesh and blood. There are spiritual forces and enemies that at work to destroy us. In 2 Corinthians 10, he says, the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but they are spiritual and mighty through God. Right? So our enemies are spiritual, and so the weapons of our warfare are spiritual. And that's what Paul is saying in this text. I believe our victory will depend entirely on the weapons that we choose in our fight. And there are two in this passage that he gives the options. You know, we're not waging war according to the flesh, which is one way we could do it. We could wage war according to the flesh. And to my shame, I would say, as often as not, that's where I end up. Because that's the default. Because that's where gravity takes us. Because that's where human nature goes. The weapons we choose to fight with, we must understand. It's very telling that Paul speaks so powerfully about spiritual warfare, and he does it in the context of a church conflict. See, so often we, and I'm not saying there aren't other fronts on the war, I'm not saying there aren't other places it certainly applies, but in this context where Paul speaks about waging war and, and the weapons of our warfare, he's talking about relationships inside the church. Paul is having trouble with this Corinthian church. Paul planted the church. Right? Paul, Paul is the father, so to speak, of this church. He, he planted it and poured his life into it and spent time there, and he establishes the church. And almost from a very short time after its founding, he spent the next many years under attack by that church. 
criticized by that church. His apostolic authority is questioned. His personal integrity is maligned. The message of the gospel is twisted and rejected and challenged in so many different ways. And so Paul is wrestling with this church through his letters. We have two of them. Most scholars believe there were more because it refers to ones that we don't have. Many in the church had turned against him. And more importantly, and this is the thing, see, they turned against Paul. But Paul is not going to wage war against flesh and blood. Paul understands that his enemy is not the church of Corinth. Right? There, are, there are spiritual issues at stake. There are, there's more going on than meets the eye. And so Paul is not so much worried about attacking them, counterattacking, which is what we do, right? Tit for tat, evil for evil, give you what you gave. You know, I'll just come right back at you. Here's, you know... You know, which is how we do. Paul doesn't come back at them. Because they not only turned against him, but more importantly, in Paul's heart and in Paul's mind, they had abandoned the truth. And they were going after false teaching. And this is Paul's concern. His concern is for the church of Jesus Christ, her health and her safety. And that is the people, the very people even, who may be attacking him, who may be deceived in this moment. And so Paul says, we may walk in the flesh. You know, that whole little section there in the first part, he's quoting them. You know, I'm humble when I'm face to face. This is what they're saying to him, right? You're humble when you're here, but then we get these letters and you're all bold. And, you know, it's kind of like Facebook, you know, in, 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 <laughs> we're online, you know, we're, you know, with each other, we're like, bless your heart. Online, though, when it comes to, we are bolder. We say things that we would not say face to face. And that's what they're accusing Paul of. Your letters are so strong and bold, but you know, in person you're this gentle, mild and meek, as if these two can't be married. Paul says, you guys, come on, you know, we walk in the flesh. We are not waging war according to the flesh. Weapons of our warfare are mighty through God. We're still in the flesh, but it's not how we fight the good fight. You know, we walk in this body and in the weakness that it brings. We are in this world, but we are not of the world. And so he says we fight in verse 4 with divine power. Right? The weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh. They have divine power to destroy strongholds. The very power of God. King James, again, sometimes you always go back to that classic poetic, powerful language. He says, we are mighty through God. We have divine power for the tearing down of strongholds. The stronghold word there is an image. You know, most fort- ancient fortresses had two levels. You had the outer walls that you, that you set up for defense and manned. And then inside, you, you built a keep. You know, you built an inner fortress. So if they breached the walls, you could fall back into that inner fortress and make a, a last stand, so to speak, in another, uh, you know, keep. And when he says that we are mighty through God or we have divine power to tear down strongholds, he's talking about total victory, right? That inner sanctum, we not only breach the outer walls, he says, but we tear down the very inner sanctum, the very inner keep of the enemy's strongholds. God wins, his power. When we are mighty through God, there is no power on earth. He alone is God. He alone is the Lord. He is building His church and the gates of hell will not stand against it. He'll take the gates and He'll take the keep. In this case, the keep are 
arguments and opinions that are being raised up, right? He says in verse 5, we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion that raises itself up against the true biblical apostolic knowledge of God. And we take every thought captive to obey Christ, right? And so he's doing battle with these guys and he says it's not even flesh and blood. He wants to win their hearts with the gospel, right? He wants to recapture the gospel. He wants the truth to break through everything that has set itself up against the true knowledge of God. Warfare. Conflict happens in the church. Can't read the New Testament and not get that. Philippians ends with, talk to Eudoya and Syntyche and tell them, to, tell, them, tell them to agree, tell them to make peace. You know, there are these things throughout that the, the tell us the church from day one has been under attack. It can be as serious as false teaching that Paul is dealing with. It can be as serious as false teaching. It can be as petty as the color of the carpet in the sanctuary which proverbially splits churches and does terrible things. It's style of the music, the budget issues, hurt feelings, personality conflicts. The church has them all. There's no end to what we can fight over. But here's the question. What are the weapons of your warfare? How do you fight the good fight? Are they from the flesh? Are you waging war according to the flesh? Or are they according to the spirit? Do you see that there's more going on than meets the eye? Is your battle against flesh and blood? Or is your battle against cosmic powers, enemies? See, I really like this language. I do because the New Testament is, is, is full of it. It describes something very real and very biblical. This, there is the flesh and there is the spirit. The flesh is that fallen, broken me, the sinful, selfish me, apart from the gracious working of the Spirit of God that would, it would be full of itself and its own. And Paul says the weapons of our warfare can't be according to this flesh. So when we engage in conflict, spirit and flesh, spirit and flesh, I want to be full, Paul commands, by, by the Word of God, be full of the Spirit. Alive unto God, even in this moment when it gets so ugly. Let me just talk for just a minute about the weapons of the flesh. When he says we don't wage war against the, 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 uh, with the, we don't wage war according to the flesh. It's interesting in here, he doesn't tell us any of the weapons, either of the flesh or of the spirit. And so let me just go for a minute. I think part of the reason I think that he doesn't is because I think the New Testament is full from beginning of end, describing following Jesus and the, and the character and weapons that go with that and, and being full of ourselves and the flesh and the world and, and what goes along with that and what kind of warfare it creates. And so he says, we walk in the flesh, but we don't wage war this way. We're in the world, but we're not of the world. Christian warfare, our warfare, he says, Christian warfare is not of the flesh. So what are some of those weapons? I would say this, let me suggest some I'm just going to speak from personal experience. You know, I'll, I'll tell you, what, what are the weapons I take up when you get into it with me? You know, or when my wife gets into it with me, or one of my kids, or you know, the, whoever it is. And those unguarded moments when it's, when it's the flesh me, and, I'm, and I am not under the gracious influence of the Spirit, but I'm full of myself. And what you'll get is pride. Right? And self-righteousness. That self-righteous indignation. How dare you? How dare you question my... How dare you speak to me that way? How dare you, you know, 
betray me like that? How dare you do this? How dare you? You know, there's that whole sense of self up here. Self-righteousness. Self-righteous indignation. And this, with that comes for me an unwavering certainty of rightness. Right? I see it so clearly. Right? My position is so clearly the correct one and yours is so clearly the wrong one and there's this unwavering doubt of my rightness which usually comes with self-justification. Therefore, I am justified in, in this as I play the tape of my rightness and your wrongness. Right? And then I'm justified in all kinds of things. You know, I, I, it's, it's you deserve it or that's the way it is and I need to, you know, and we, we, we feel free to do things we perhaps ought not to do. We are defensive. I am defensive, argumentative, have arrows of anger and the club of stubbornness and salt and dash it with a little bitterness. And that's how we do it, right? The best of us, that's how we do it. Whether out there or in here or at home, we wield these weapons. And when we do, we lose. Galatians 5.20 says, The works of the flesh are enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions. Right? These are the works of the flesh. That means that's what's produced with the weapons of the flesh. Right? What is it that produces enmity, strife, jealousy, anger, rivalries, dissensions? Ephesians 4, this is in your bulletin under the third point. Ephesians 4, he says this, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander be put away from you along with all malice. Don't grieve the Spirit of God. Be full of the Spirit of God. In order to be full of the Spirit of God, I've got to be empty of all this other garbage, the weapons of the flesh. Right? See, when we grieve the Spirit, we forfeit His power. When we grieve Him, we forfeit His power. And we are not mighty through God. We are full of ourselves, like bulls in a china shop. All of these things quench spiritual power, and they give the devil a foothold, and they leave us weak and conquered and broken. The passage doesn't tell us directly what the spiritual weapons are, but you already could lean in that direction, couldn't you? I think he does give us two hints, and I'll just, with these, say, the, the two that he does go to, and I believe they are in the text, or in verse 1, where he says, I myself, Paul, entreat you by the meekness and the gentleness of Christ, I who am humble, when face to face. And I don't believe there that it's fully sarcasm. You could read it a bunch of different ways. I think Paul is coming to him and saying, right, they're, they're saying the harshest things. You can't imagine the stuff they're saying against Paul in, in terms of, of, of undermining his ministry, everything he said, his character, his authority, and his right in relationship to that church. And what Paul comes back with, he says, is the meekness and gentleness of Jesus. Jesus has come to me and learn of me, for I am gentle and humble of heart. And one of the great weapons of our warfare is the character of Jesus Christ. Right? A godly character that would, would save us from so much pain and destruction. The character of Christ, I come to you, he says, I entreat you, I plead with you out of the meekness and gentleness of Jesus. Hear me, my brothers and sisters. 
Christ-like character and the fruits of the Spirit. In verse 5, he speaks of the knowledge of God. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised up against what? The knowledge of God. And we take every thought captive to Christ. The truth as it is in Jesus Christ. The power of the truth and the power of a godly life that is shaped and created by the truth. Who we are. I always say, you know, in all these things, you know what, how you say it is just as important as what you say. Right? You can betray the truth. In fact, you can close the door on even a hearing for the truth if, you, if, if your character is bitter to the taste. Right? So not only what we say, but how we say it, the character, the soul from which it comes, gives a flavor to what you're trying to say. And they're both together. He says the character of Christ and the truth of Christ, which go together, you know, always, 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 we speak the truth in love, right? The meekness of Christ and the knowledge of the God in truth. The power of a godly life. The power of the truth in God. So let me just give you four quick things as we run. They'll be, they will be quick. The posture, well, three things. The posture and two weapons uh, as we close. The posture is to resist the devil. And we all know that passage that says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. And there's all kinds of, I think, Interesting things that come from that. What is it? Again, because Paul doesn't really describe to you what does it look like to resist the devil. But I think that he does. That we're not left. I think we read the rest of the New Testament. And we, we get an idea of what that means, what that looks like. How do we resist? And, and rather than going in some crazy ways and making some stuff up, I would say that Jesus and Paul both show us the way in terms of the word of God and the spirit of God and the character of Christ. When we are under temptation... We act like Jesus. Jesus, we, we have one passage in particular where we're told Jesus went into the desert for 40 days and nights and he was f- praying and fasting and he came under temptation, right? And so we got praying and fasting as he's under temptation. Prayer as, the, as one of the, the, the strongest weapons, if apart from me you can do nothing, then prayer becomes one of the most spiritually powerful things available to the Christian where we reach out to connect with and call upon, become mighty through the power of God. But the posture, his posture is to resist the devil. And what he does is he resists him, he quotes the scripture to him. But he doesn't just quote the scripture to the devil. And I think this is funny sometimes that we, we think if I just memorize some scripture and our temptation, I just quote him. You know, but Jesus quotes scripture, but it also is so much a part of him that he actually obeys it. That what he is telling the devil at that moment, you know, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test, is not some hypothetical thing out here. It is something deeply ingrained in the soul of Jesus. I do not, will not put God to the test. And so he actually obeys the scripture and doesn't. We resist the devil by obeying Jesus. We all know his word. We all know the list of things on there Don't be like this and don't do these things. What we need is the presence of mind and the power of spirit to actually be those things in those moments. And so, we need to know the scripture. The scripture needs to not only be in our heads, but in our hearts. In those moments, it needs to become that thing that governs us. As in prayer, we seek Christ, the power of his spirit, 
the grace to not be full of myself, but to be full of his power, to do the right thing, the biblical thing, the Christ-like thing, to be his ambassador in these moments, an ambassador of reconciliation and peace and grace, rather than a destroyer. There's a war going on, my friends. We have an enemy that is out to destroy us, to destroy your marriage, to destroy your church. We're in a battle, and the enemy is not the person in front of you. We need to wake up to the devil's scheme and understand our battle is not against flesh and blood. The enemy wants to sabotage and destroy our relationships. So let us stop being full of ourselves. Let us come under the word of God in obedience. Let us give ourselves in prayer. Let us find and experience the fullness of his spirit so that we might be mighty through God to destroy the works of the devil that he might have no foothold here. Pray with me. Father in heaven, we thank you for your great love for your church and that you are indeed the one who builds and the enemy cannot tear us down. I pray, Father, you would teach us what it means to be mighty in your power. Oh, to abandon ourselves in favor of your spirit, to abandon our will in favor of your way in a Christ-like character, that we would follow the way of obedience and that we would give up on our willfulness and our self-centeredness, that you would lead us into victory. For we ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.